0: Hello, it's Wednesday 3rd of August. I'm Hannah Pearson. On today's show, Gary Bowman and I will assess the promising outlook for domestic travel and tourism in the region. So, let's get started. This is the Southeast Asia Travel Show.
1: Hello, wherever you are in the world, and thanks for listening in. So today, Hannah and I are taking a trip through Southeast Asia to look at some of the key issues around domestic tourism, which kept the travel industry afloat during the long border closures of 2020 and 2021, and into 2022 as well in some countries, and continues to thrive and evolve. Governments in the region now seem to be recognizing, finally, the importance of domestic travel to the economy, and are putting in place policies that will support future development. So Hannah, let's dive straight in. Where should we start and why?
0: Well, I think it would make sense to start with the country that has the largest number of domestic travellers, which has got to be Indonesia, hasn't it? Um, so that's always a super interesting one to look at. And, you, you know, I, I think you make a great point that domestic tourism and is evolving and governments are, are starting to wake up to that reality. And the reality is that it's still going to be just domestic tourist focus, or it should be, whilst international tourism ramps up. But... You know, looking at the numbers for Indonesia, it's, it's easy to see why domestic tourism needs to be a focus. Um, so for this year, the tourism minister, Santiago Uno, um, is forecasting that 2022 arrival targets Um, for international tourists would reach 1.8 to 3.6 million. Um, Meanwhile, it's forecasting 550 million domestic tourists. Um, So the difference between 3.6 million and uh, 550 million is immense, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, those are astonishing numbers. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised, should we? Indonesia is the fourth most populous country in the world, by far the largest and most populous country in Southeast Asia is a huge, huge market. And as as we know, Hannah, before the pandemic, domestic tourism was growing quite strong there on the other side. We're seeing we're seeing numbers that, that are really, really big and probably will continue to grow, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, and we have seen, you know, as as things go, this maybe not a change in rhetoric, but really this recognition that Previously, the tourism industry was very much reliant on international tourists. Um, So just last week, uh, we had the Coordinating Minister for Maritime Affairs and Investment, uh, Luhut, um, saying, we want domestic tourists to account for 60 to 70% of our tourism industry backbone. Hence, if things like COVID occur, the visits will not be completely depleted, they say. And he's previously said as well, you know, more than half of our tourists especially those to Bali are foreign. We don't want that anymore. We need to have more economic resilience. Um, So they're really seeing domestic tourism and the development of that being a key strategy to achieve resilience within the tourism industry and the economy as a whole for Indonesia.
1: Yeah, I would say they're they're leading the region. I think it's really interesting you use that word resilience there. He used the word both economic resilience and travel industry resilience, trying to um, put, as you said, in in place... uh, strategies in future that if there are more pandemics, which we, we imagine there probably will be at some point, that domestic tourism will still be able to function, will still be able to generate revenue, and will still be able to keep jobs and, and businesses alive. Um, I mean, I think it's, an, it's, it's a really, really positive strategy. And I would imagine um, that other countries around the region will have to follow suit because it's, uh, it's I would say it's pretty progressive, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think the reality is when you look at a country like Indonesia, there are so many Places, right? So many destinations that you can visit, and of course, you know Bali gets the lion's share. But Indonesia has always been very hot on developing their um, their super priority destinations, and beyond that, um, you know, this development of tourism villages uh, that Santiago Uno holds so close to his heart. But all of these are also being geared up to welcome domestic tourists. I think that there is this recognition that it isn't just going to be international tourists that that pushes a recovery for these that you really need domestic tourists who have very different travel patterns and who go to different areas of the country that perhaps international tourists don't to to really spread that economic value
1: yeah and i think they're also being pretty realistic about the costs of travel as well they're saying that the costs will rise and mean we've we've discussed before some of the the increases that they've suggested at uh, tourist attractions such as Borobudur and Commodore Island. But the cost of travel generally looks like it's going to rise in Indonesia. And I think they're being upfront about this. This week, TTG Asia reported that Indonesia is going to increase its passenger service charge at 19 airports across the country, both for domestic flights and for international flights. They're slightly different rates. So we are going to see an increase in the cost of travel. And that's something that I guess we might see across the region going forward. Governments are now looking at the economics of travel, and that does incur extra fees and costs for travel, most likely.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think what is also interesting for Indonesia is that, you know, they are still imposing COVID restrictions. So the most recent one is, you know, we have to remember that domestic travel... In Indonesia, particularly if you're flying, there are still some hoops that you've got to jump through. So, I, you know, in, in that sense, we are still perhaps not seeing the full potential. Um, so a couple of weeks ago to encourage the booster take up, the government reimposed a rule that if you're not boosted, you need to um, have, have a test. You need to go through testing again. So even with these restrictions, so kind of at a airport in Jakarta still um, reported an increase in um, in visitors, mainly driven through domestic. So there really is this desire to travel. People are traveling regardless, even if they have to, you know, follow certain restrictions and it isn't as free as it was pre-pandemic.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, that's, that's a really interesting point. A lot of these issues now that we're going to be seeing over the coming months will be genuine sort of travel and tourism, economic issues that we would have seen anyway, you know, how the industry restructures, how economies change, that kind of thing. But also, as you say, there's still this overlay um, from COVID. It, it's it's really difficult to predict. It's really difficult for governments to actually set longer-term policies in place. But uh, I do like this this focus on domestic tourism, particularly in a country that is so big, so vast, and has such a big population as Indonesia.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, it definitely makes sense when you're, you're talking about that. Like we said, so many destinations and so many people right? It's, it's, it's the clear way to, to keep the economy moving, to keep tourism players um, in business and, and developing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's move from Indonesia onto Thailand. Hannah, what's happening there in terms of domestic tourism?
0: Yeah, so I mean, Thailand, again, perhaps we, we start with the, the numbers and a, a good forecast because everybody knows Gary and I love a good TAT forecast. So by 2023, TAT is expecting total tourism revenue of about 1.73 trillion Thai baht. Uh, Now, about 970 billion of that is from the international market, Um, about 760 billion from the domestic market. So, I mean, you know, it is not that far off. This is not a international tourism receipt so far outweighing that from the domestic market, 970 billion versus 760. And that, again, signifies again, this kind of reality that the domestic market has to keep sustaining the tourism industry.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it's interesting. Those are really interesting figures. I agree with you. It's the same as as we just discussed in Indonesia, Hannah. So there's a couple of things that we, we can sort of develop in this conversation. We're looking at the numbers. We're looking from the economic side. We're looking at the numbers of visitors and the potential revenue that could be generated. One thing we don't seem to be seeing too much yet, and perhaps because this is early days, is actual analysis of what domestic tourist markets and how they're changing you know who are domestic travelers now are they travelers who are still reticent of traveling internationally are they travelers who may perhaps can't afford to travel internationally at the moment are they travelers who are traveling internationally and also traveling domestically where are they going what are they doing what are their age uh, and demographic trends a lot of this stuff is not yet coming out and i suspect that's probably because it's early days hannah would, would you agree with that and we may see some more studies perhaps next year.
0: Yeah, I think so. I I think you're, you're right there. It really is early days. Um, So, you know, in reality, as as we keep saying on on the podcast, domestic tourism was extremely limited last year. And so now this is the chance for it to come up. And of course, now added to that, most travelers also have the opportunity to travel overseas if they want as well. So there's this It's very hard to to see where things fall. Like you said, there is some fear around still, I think, of travelling overseas. But how much is that really playing a role? I'm not sure. Of course, we've got the economy, um, high inflation as well, high airfares. Is that also playing into a decision for domestic travellers to stay and, and travel domestically rather than to travel outbound? Possibly as well. Or are we seeing still this reunion style domestic travel and of course we when we were looking at international travel that was one of the first segments that was really picking up right the VFR visiting friends and family and reuniting with loved ones but that's still happening to a certain extent I think within domestic travel as well there are still key festivals that are the first time for a few years you've had this opportunity to celebrate with for family you know Chinese New Year Songkran Tet these, these are the first time, Eid even, the first time for two or three years, you've actually been able to celebrate with family, perhaps go back to the hometown if, if you're not from the, the big metropolises. So it's very hard to see right now, actually, what the trends are going to be. And like you say, are they going to continue? Are people going to continue to want to travel domestically?
1: Yeah. And then I guess you've also got the overland, particularly in Thailand, I guess. You know, there are more um, domestic flights are being put on extra routes, extra services, extra frequencies the overlay to actual domestic travel is that you've got foreign travelers traveling on domestic routes as well. So that's boosting like the, the airline revenues uh, and the passengers on, on flight seats because uh, people are coming into the country, particularly in Thailand, Indonesia, you know, you need to get around the country, you tend to fly around. Um, that boosts the, the airline economy as well. So there's that sort of semi-domestic travel of foreigners actually coming into the country, but also traveling on flights um, within the country as well.
0: Um, and I think it's, it's always interesting still, you know, when we're talking about Thailand anyhow, to recognize that they have done, you know, the the government has put in place, several um, stimulus schemes that they've been running throughout the past couple of years. Um, So they have had the We Travel Together scheme. So that gives subsidies on hotel and flight stays. And then we have this Tour to Your Thai, which is more aimed at subsidizing uh, tour packages sold by travel agents. And these have both been really popular. And these have both been also encouraging Thai travelers to travel. I mean, I would say that We Travel Together has been a lot more popular than the, the, the Tour to your Thai, and that has been kind of extended and downgraded. But certainly that's a driver. But even that, you know, tourism associations are still calling for the government to simplify um, these schemes. Um, you know, as we've had um, David Lukens on the podcast before pointing out, um, and, and Vincent visit Vatican as well. These tourism schemes don't necessarily benefit the whole tourism value chain. It's just select hotels, select um, airlines. Um, and again, that this could well be skewing what actual tourism, domestic tourism trends are.
1: Yeah, really good points, Hannah. I mean, two very, very interesting countries to watch, I think, Thailand and Indonesia about what happens next in domestic tourism. I'm sure we'll hear more policies, we'll hear um, more change in the way that people are traveling domestically, those kinds of things. And also seasonality is always a very important factor, isn't it, in domestic tourism. You mentioned that um, a lot of travel happens on long weekends and public holidays. Can domestic travel actually fill in some of the gaps throughout the rest of the year? I guess that that remains to be seen.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's an interesting one because, of course, a lot of domestic travel, you you tend to see a lot of families traveling and and they will always be very tied to the school holidays and the, the long holidays. Um, And that's, I guess, where the international travel comes in and that, that balances it off, you know, different markets and nationalities have different peak travel times. If you're solely still relying on the domestic market, you know, it makes it difficult. It makes it difficult, especially for tourism businesses when they're thinking about manpower, even, you know, going back to the, the crisis of manpower in the region at the moment. But if you only ever get very busy on the weekends and not during the weekdays, it's hard to then think about taking on staff who would be working throughout the week. You know, you're essentially paying for a cost that you only need on the weekends.
1: Yeah, absolutely agree. So today we're discussing domestic tourism, some of the emerging issues throughout Southeast Asia. We've covered Thailand and Indonesia. Next, we're heading to another really interesting country, Hannah, where there's quite a lot happening, and that's Vietnam.
0: Yeah, exactly. So Vietnam um, has always been an interesting one for domestic travel. And I think throughout the pandemic, um, it has always had... um, except when it was hit by Delta variant. But prior to that, it's had pretty buoyant um, domestic tourism industry um, still. So they released the stats for uh, the first half of this year and domestic travel reached 60.8 million visitors. That's up about 1.9 times year on year. They expect that domestic visitors are actually going to hit pre-pandemic levels of 85 million by October. Um, So that's, that's not... That's not too far away for them hitting those pre-pandemic levels, which is quite impressive, isn't it?
1: it certainly is, and again, another interesting country geographically, a large country, very, very diverse in, in terms of the things that you can see and do in the country. A large population approaching a uh, hundred million. I think it's the third largest population in our region after Indonesia and the Philippines. Um, so a lot of opportunities here, and as you say, um, you know, the airlines before pandemic really. Caught on to the, the boom in domestic travel. Um, flight frequencies were, were, were good, especially during holidays and public uh, and long weekends. Uh, and you're seeing that right now. I and mean, we're seeing um, images from some of the, the key airports in Vietnam, uh, especially during public uh, holidays. Uh, they're crammed, aren't they? I mean, they're, they're over capacity at the moment. And that's one of the issues that we're, we're starting to see in our region. We've seen a lot of that in uh, Europe and North America, or Australia less of it so far in Southeast Asia, but you are starting to see uh, airports in Vietnam, in Thailand, in, in Indonesia, you know, we're starting to see that overcapacity coming back. And that is a mixture of domestic, a very strong mixture of domestic and international travel as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so to give a flavour of that, so the, the Civil Aviation Authority of Vietnam have reported that only about 40% of international flight routes have been restored versus 2019 levels, um, but they do expect that to be at 100% by the year-end, um, whereas domestic flights are at about 80% of pre-pandemic levels. So, you know, things are, things are really moving, and you can see um, just from, again, the rhetoric from governments in Vietnam, there's a lot of focus on upgrading infrastructure at airports, again, um, and talking about building the new Long Tan Airport uh, near Ho Chi Minh City, Getting that started and a lot of urgency around this, I think, as you know, governments realize, actually, we, we need, we're back to these old issues. We're back to these issues of, of really high capacity and we need to resolve them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they've been talking uh, a, a lot of infrastructure, transport infrastructure projects, uh, railways and things like that um, for the future. Those are longer term projects and they do take time and they often get delayed. You know, you look, you forward forecast for Vietnam and you do see that the domestic industry is going to grow quite considerably, I would imagine. It's going to be over capacity very, very soon. Um, They're going to have to find solutions to that quite quickly, because I guess one of the things that you tend to see in Vietnam as well, particularly on flight routes, is that people do tend to go to a lot of the same places. So at public holidays, you know, if you look at places like Phu Quoc, um, it gets crammed there, really, really crammed. So the airport is under huge pressure.
0: Yeah. And one of the interesting thing that has been popping up in the, the domestic market for Vietnam, at least over this, this summer period, which is one of their peak travel periods, is the fact that some domestic airfares are actually exceeding airfares to um, regional destinations like Thailand or Singapore or Malaysia. You know, and, and this is also perhaps swinging that decision. Um, and actually, some travelers are finding that it's cheaper to fly overseas than it is to um, stay within Vietnam, which I, I find really fascinating.
1: And that, that's something that is quite similar to China in recent years as well. That also happened as the domestic flights just became too expensive and people found better value traveling into Southeast Asia or even over to, to Japan and Korea. Um, you know, in Vietnam, is, is, is falling very, very similarly there. That's a very interesting one to watch.
0: So shall we move over to Malaysia? What's been happening with Malaysia for domestic travel, Gary?
1: Well, again, you know, airports are busy. Uh, There's a lot of, one of the interesting things, I think, in Malaysia, you've got a real strong mix of of leisure travelers and also business travel seems to be coming back domestically here, particularly on the early morning flights. You see long queues at airports uh, in Malaysia at the moment. Smaller populations, smaller journeys, particularly if you're traveling within the uh, the peninsula, most journeys are only about one, one and a half hours. If you go across to Sabah, that's obviously a bit further, that's two and a half, three hours. Um, So they tend to be shorter domestic flight routes. But... You know, Malaysia is quite an interesting thing because I think you said before, Hannah, that they've been quite conservative in, in their estimates for international visitors since they reopened uh, borders in what, the beginning of April. Um, so they started off with this idea that they've had, <coughs> excuse me, 2 million international visitors. That's been ramped up now to 4.5 million. It looks like that will be easily be exceeded. The, the interesting thing, I think, is, is the domestic numbers, which have always been strong. Malaysians have always traveled uh, in large numbers domestically. And they're looking at ways that they can try to to boost that, but also to uh, probably shelter um, travelers from some of the the rises in resort and hotel rates, which seem to be inevitable once uh, international travelers come back. And there's this idea, hasn't there, of booking vouchers, which subsidy programs during the, the pandemic didn't really work to that that greater extent. Did and they're trying to do it again, but it's also again quite a limited program, isn't it?
0: It is, yeah. I mean, so. During the pandemic, you know, if you compared what Malaysia did to, say, Singapore or to Thailand for domestic travel, like you say, it didn't it didn't really come off. There, there were certain tax exemptions you were given um, for around a thousand ringgit, but you don't really see the value of that at the time. So it, it, it's not necessarily an incentive for people to travel domestically. Um, this time around, they're issuing vouchers um, and they're partnering a lot with Shopee, um, which I always always find kind of interesting that they are partnering with a non-tourism e-commerce platform rather than, you know, for example, in Singapore, we've seen uh, Singapore Tourism Board partner a lot with Kluke and partner with Trip.com and these other people, uh, whereas Tourism Malaysia seems to be going more um, towards the e-commerce route, possibly just because they they have that, that base of users. So, you know, they're giving 50 to 100 ringgit for domestic hotel rooms being booked online first come first served a limit as well about thirty-three e e-vouchers up for grabs but in the grand scheme of things you know 50 to 100 ringgit is is not a big amount i can't imagine that this is going to generate significant impetus for people to book domestic travel but certainly you know domestic travel is is on their mind they you know the the um, senior director at tourism malaysia has Made comments that they're actively promoting domestic tourism. They're launching various different campaigns to encourage Malaysians to travel locally, and you know they they are certainly ramping up different campaigns. For example, diving that they've been focusing on, or even uh, quite a nice one is stargazing that I've seen. And I think both for international and domestic market, but this idea of the places where they have dark skies and promoting that. So there are things going on, um, but like you said, it's a little bit hit and miss, I think, when it comes to Malaysia. And it will be interesting to see how that plays out throughout the rest of the year.
1: Yeah. And I guess the, the other really interesting aspect about Malaysia's domestic travel sector is, is kind of the oversupply in, in airlines. I mean, before the pandemic, we had these three airlines, uh, Asia, Malaysia Airlines and its, and its low cost subsidiary and Melinda, which is now called Batic Air. And they were really competing very, very hard on domestic routes. Uh, a lot of, you know, it was, the frequencies were, were, were crazy just before the pandemic. It was so easy to pick a flight. Every hour you had so much choice. And that obviously depressed the prices. That didn't really happen during the pandemic. Obviously, airlines had to, to cut their frequencies right down to the bone at times. That's starting to come back now. And we're also starting to see maybe one or two new airlines coming in, Hannah. So we could again go back to this situation where oversupply in the domestic market, reduces prices and, and encourages people to travel because they do get good deals.
0: It could well do, yeah. And an interesting note, you know, Mavcom, who the Malaysian Aviation Commission, released some stats last week about air traffic rights applications. And they noticed that there has been this increase in secondary city routes, um, you know, so particularly routes from Penang, particularly routes from Johor Bahru to other secondary cities within Malaysia. So there's that, that opportunity, I think, that airlines are seeing to link destinations that previously perhaps would have had to have transited via KL um, to be reached. So that's an interesting one as well.
1: I would agree. So let's move. uh, We'll come to Cambodia and Laos in a moment. But the second biggest country in our our region is the Philippines. A lot's happening there, Hannah. Update us on what's happening domestically.
0: So I mean, the Philippines is still very much reliant on domestic tourism. And I, I think it's interesting to note that Philippines in general has been a little bit quiet about its international arrivals. Um, and you tend to, I, I would tend to suspect that when countries are being a bit quiet, it means that they have not really got a lot to, uh, to shout about. Um, but there's been lots of stats recently. So for example, the Philippine tourism satellite accounts um, noted that 80% of Philippines tourism is driven by domestic tourism and 20% foreign tourism at the moment. And the DOT um, certainly expect tourism to gain further traction in the second half of this year. So they are really seeing domestic tourism again as this driver. They're trying to promote lesser known regions, Visayas, Mindanao. But hotel occupancies are still pretty low. Cebu have noted there are about 40 to 50% hotel occupancies in Cebu. Um, from about 20% when that, that quarantine was lifted in February. But it is still not significant numbers. I still have to rely on domestic market.
1: Yeah, I mean, that figure is astonishing, isn't it? 80% is driven by domestic tourism. But as you said earlier, Hanwa, I think it was when we were discussing Indonesia, we are still seeing a lot of reconnecting, of travelling for, for love, as Australians say, you know, visiting family and friends, particularly in the Philippines. And when people do that, they, they tend to stay with family and friends, not in hotels. So although there's a lot of travel through through the air, uh, it doesn't necessarily get reflected at tourism destinations or in the hotel sector.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, one sector, like you say, they're having to fly there, and certainly the airlines there are making a a sterling recovery, really, when it comes to domestic capacity. Um, so, for example, Cebu Pacific reached one hundred percent of its pre-pandemic domestic capacity. I think that was back in could have been June or May already. Um, I think Philippine Airlines is approaching that. AirAsia Philippines too. Um, so there is this demand. But like you said, with with Indonesia, Gary, Philippines is one of these destinations where you do have to fly, uh, which makes a difference versus Malaysia, where a lot of people prefer to drive.
1: Yeah, absolutely agree. So let's uh, that's going to be an interesting one to watch because eighty percent driven by domestic tourism. That's really, really high. Probably the highest in the region. I don't let's uh, let's look quickly at what's happening in cambodia and laos firstly to cambodia
0: mm. so for cambodia i mean they are seeing like this continued highs i mean they it's funny they report the number of travelers every weekend <laughs> including domestic and international and that's kind of staying a bit steady it, it 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 went up a bit they had i think quite a strong june and and now it's it's a small decline it's Staying relatively still and they're kind of blaming it on bad weather. It's not a great time to be traveling in Cambodia right now. Um, but the prime minister there is is still encouraging Cambodians to travel domestically, just to offset this absence of Chinese visitors. And of course, the China market was huge for Cambodia and still no sign of when that's going to reopen.
1: Yeah, as, as, uh, following uh, a journalist who travels around the region quite a lot, Aaron Walner. Uh, This week he was in Siem Reap and he was saying that Siem Reap has really developed quite a digital nomad sector. He said that it's uh, a lot of uh, Cambodians that are working away from home, uh, working from cafes and and hotels. Uh, That's quite an interesting uh, development, I guess.
0: Mm -hmm. And let's finish off with Laos then. I think we've almost done the full set of ASEAN countries. Um, so for Laos, um, it's interesting. I mean, they have had this Lao Tiao Lao um, campaign, this domestic, um, not really subsidized campaign, but this campaign to in- encourage, uh, allow people to travel domestically. Um, so that campaign itself is hoping to generate about 1.9 million domestic visitors this year. Um, and. Overall, they're forecasting 1 million international travellers for the whole for 2022. So it's about double the amount of domestic visitors versus international visitors.
1: Yeah, I would agree, Hannah. I think wrapping up overall of what we've discussed from the countries uh, that we visited vicariously today is that it's interesting to note that governments are focusing and reporting much more on domestic tourism. That, I guess, is through economic necessity. But it's something that didn't really happen, certainly not as frequently, before the pandemic. So there is definitely a concentration on trying to generate more domestic travel. We now have to look over the coming months to see what policies are put in place to support that. But as we said, Hannah, in Indonesia, is a good case in point. The costs of travel are going to rise in many countries, and that will be an inhibitor on people's discretionary spend. So there's still a lot to shake down. There's definitely positive sentiment in terms of domestic travel, but I think we're still waiting to see what happens in terms of the economic policies that will be rolled out. Because governments do still need to generate a lot of revenue that they lost during the pandemic.
0: Yeah, exactly. It always comes down to that, that age-old: international travellers are fewer, but generate more more revenue for the country versus domestic travellers. But you know, I would hope also that governments are also looking beyond that the the monetary aspect, but also the. What, what's the social impact also of domestic tourists visiting other parts of, of their own country? And of, of course, I think that there are other more intangible benefits um, of that and really spreading the value of tourism throughout the country rather than the, the key hubs that international tourists tend to visit.
1: Yeah, 100% agree. Social impact and benefits is going to be a very, very key metric for the whole travel industry going forward. Uh, but, and yeah, especially in domestic tourism, i agree with that.
0: So that brings us to a close of our look at domestic travel and tourism for this week. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and don't forget to send us your thoughts and comments on anything we discussed or anything we missed out. You can drop us a message on our LinkedIn page at the Southeast Asia Travel Show.
1: Yep. Meanwhile, you can catch up with the Southeast Asia Travel Show's full back catalogue on our website, the seasiatravelshow.com. And of course, you can listen to every single podcast, including this one, on all the various international podcast platforms. Again, just search for the Southeast Asia Travel Show on each app. And please remember that if you do tune in via Spotify or Apple Podcasts, if you could give us a quick rating and a review, that will help other people to find the show
0: so that's a wrap for today and we'll both return next week we look forward to talking to you then